T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, good afternoon. It's the second hour of the afternoon. Greg Tomsett's on the Western Hotline, and Michael McDonald is in our thoughts, prayers, and our minds, and our souls. And with that, I view Greg Tomsett a lot like I view Michael McDonald, which is way ahead of his time, very handsome, and the voice of an angel. That's basically how I describe Greg Tomsett. So, Greg, uh, good afternoon to you, and... You're welcome in advance. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, to be sampled as uh, you know regulators, it's just a very diverse and, and multi-use uh, song. Well, there's no question about that. And my producer Corey Griswold it knows nothing more about uh, d- being able to um, to place a song in a moment and allow it to really cover a lot of bases. And, and I think Michael McDonald covered all four. I think he covered all That's four correct. bases. That's correct. So, um, <laughs> Greg, good afternoon to you, my friend, and. Um, I figured I'd start with a conversation that's sort of happening in real time on Twitter because I think this is part of I think this is part of the greater conversation of what the hell the Bills do on the offensive line. Eric and I were texting back and forth this morning, just kind of talking. I was talking to him about what I was going to talk about today, but like you know how Eric is. Like Eric will say, "Okay, here you go, buddy. Here's like eight pieces of great screenshotted information to help you with your argument." And I'm like, "Hey, man, thank you." You know, that's just what Eric does. Um, but one of the things like that he's showing me is he's kind of showing the potential depth chart of the offensive line and just how much trouble they really are on the offensive line. And I know that. You know, you think that this team just paid Deion Dawkins and he's young and they've got their left tackle, but what do they have other than that? And I think the, the conversation around Cody Ford here gets really, really interesting for me. And my main argument, Greg, not it's not against Cody Ford. Cody Ford's going to be on this roster. But the luxury of finding out whether or not Cody Ford is good was supposed to be the last two years. And I don't want to say or blame the team for squandering the opportunity. Injuries certainly played their part. Um, But moving him around the lineup certainly didn't help this. But Greg, they do not have the luxury in a year that they need, that they're on a Super Bowl run. And that's the reality of this, is there's no luxury to wait around to find out if Cody Ford's good. Like, you can't just say, well, we're going to count on Cody Ford to be this team's starting left guard, and then him not work out after two weeks and move on. Like, they don't have that luxury in this type of situation so talk to me what what do you think Cody Ford and and do you buy my argument in this I think you're spot on I I think that the risk is higher than we would like I I think that there's I think there's more remaining upside with Ford than what people realize I think many people saw him as a potential elite level guard coming out his only shot to find that out at guard he got injured 
I don't know that we've seen any extended period of time at him at his best spot. So I'm open to the fact that maybe we still have something here as a legitimate starter. Now, obviously, the downside is what you're talking about, is that we're going to find that out, and the downside to being wrong is Josh Allen's health is the success of this offense. Um, I, I think that maybe there's some level of a safety net where if he truly flounders and there's no upside remaining and all we see is limited play, I, you know, you're going to have an Ike Botker back on a restricted free agent deal, you know, very cheap that, you know, if it's really that bad, you could go to there and then you're simply getting below average serviceable play, but not endangering Josh Allen. We saw that obviously the offense can survive with an Ike Botker level player. Now that needs to be your fifth offensive line spot. Mm-hmm. That needs yeah. to be the least of your spots and upgrade everywhere else. So uh, part of this conversation goes on to, well, who the heck do you re-sign then? And, 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 and here's the thing. I think maybe maybe the conversation around retaining your own is is not exactly – it's not exactly a talking point that I think is often used with good evidence to back it up, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is I am very hesitant on giving one or either John Feliciano and Daryl Williams long-term, or even if it's just bridge two- to three-year deals, with the idea that they're going to get paid potentially 10 or more million. And you know where Feliciano ends up, whether or not it's an $8 million cap hit, a $10 million cap hit, whatever, I understand the luxury of having two guys like that that are weren't making a lot of money on the cap last year. But their value, Greg, in a lot of ways was their cap hit and what they were able to do on the field. So you were getting the value of not paying someone to getting higher value on the field for what you're actually paying for. That goes out the window when you pay Darrell Williams $10 million a year. That value stops being as, I don't know, sexy to look at. And I think for me, like Darrell Williams and, and Feliciano represent two players that I think a smart team probably doesn't lock up long-term and overpay. And I think... I don't think the Bills, although they're in a tough position on the offensive line, I don't think they're in a corner, Greg, where they have to go out and overpay a Feliciano. I would love to see Feliciano here long term, but frankly, I sit with Eric. I don't view him as a ironclad top-tier starter, and I think they need to find, if they're going to go with Cody Ford at left guard, they need to find something better at right guard, and I just don't think that's Feliciano. And then the other argument is, do you bump Feliciano down long term to be your long term center? And I just don't think there's enough there for me to be confident about that either way, and I think ultimately what we come down to here, Greg, is we're asking for a lot to happen on this offensive line by bringing back these guys. We need a lot of things to go right, and I just think you're banking on way too many variables to be good in a year that you know you need to be better on the offensive line. Yeah, you know, so the, the cheesy answer is everyone makes sense at a certain price, but it's real. You know, there's a number where I'm happy that they bring back John Feliciano. There's a number where I'm happy that they bring back Darrell Williams both of them are well below any of the market numbers I've seen. There's no, you know, people throwing around three years, $21 million for John Feliciano. I'll lose my mind if they give that kind of contract to him. Um, if you go the other direction, I think people use, you know, Brandon, Byrne, Brandon Bean uses that term, I want to draft, develop, and retain our own. Well, maybe they've already told us that because you want to know who they drafted, developed, and retained. Trey White and Deion Dawkins, Mm -hmm. they already gave money to Jordan Poyer. Maybe they're telling us that draft, develop, and retain 
is a smart strategy and they're going to do it when it makes sense, that doesn't mean we retain every single player that comes up. And if they viewed these other players in that same light as a Jordan Poyer who rightfully got an extension while he was in mid-contract or coming up off their rookie deal and Trey White and Deion Dawkins, if Milano and Feliciano were in that same category for them, they already would have been retained. So I don't think it's also, I don't think that means it's a binary and that that means the writing's on the wall and they're for sure leaving. I just think that they tell us with their actions who they prioritize and they've already shown us that. So I think there is very much a possibility where we have two or three new starting pieces on this offense next year, most likely two. I think that we're going to see some combination of Deion Dawkins, Mitch Morris, and John Feliciano, or sorry, and, and Cody Ford, and there's a possibility Feliciano's back. I would be shocked if we see all five of those guys back. Cover One's Greg Thompson here joining me on the Western Hotline talking the Bills offseason. And Greg, I want to talk to you a little bit we're going to talk some draft here coming up shortly as well, but the offensive line to me was kind of where you have to start, and I think it's where Brandon Bean's probably thinking he's got to start. But the defensive line, Greg, is right up there in terms of you know total storylines and how they could potentially, I think, rem- like significantly remake the look of this defensive line. I- and I think that's in the cards. Do you agree with that? And you know, I think Ryan Talbot and I had a really great conversation of trying to balance how you completely remake two parts of your team that are incredibly important to each unit, right? And and, and maybe balancing whether you do that in free agency or the draft, or maybe you do a little bit of both for each position. But if you're looking at the offensive line and the defensive line in two vacuums, which of those uh, units do you believe you can best remake? How do I want to say this? Best remake, knowing the way that you're going to have to play football to beat Kansas City, which of those two units can be maybe best remade via free agency rather than the draft? And and, and for me, I'll tell you, I think it's defensive line, um, but I think you can make an argument that there is some pieces you could do offensively on the offensive line too in free agency. But I think if you're going to go all in on one of those units to try to get better with money, I think money's spent on the defensive line. I agree, and I think that you've also seen long-term, you find those huge hits on the defensive line from the draft, but almost never do they develop and have that impact in year one. So now that doesn't mean there's not a reason to draft and develop. Of course you want to do that and find guys on good rookie contracts. It's going to be pretty rare that that's going to be the answer to 2021 improved pass rush. So there's names on the defensive line now who weren't bad last year. I think that anyone who tries to make the case that Quentin Jefferson, Vernon Butler, Mario Addison were bad football players is wrong. They yeah, weren't. agreed. None, none of them were good values. We didn't get a good return on our investment because they were pretty good or average or slightly above average, and we paid them as though they were going to be impactful. So they all have an opportunity to either come back on a pay cut, come back on a restructure, or be re- uh, released and replaced with the savings because all three of them could free up somewhere between 6.1, 6.5, and 6.8 million in cap savings between the three of them. I think that each of them are in a spot where it's all about the alternatives. I think if we see, you know, obviously the, the hot name right now is J.J. Watt, and if you have a chance to bring in a player like that, all of a sudden, hey, we could probably release Mario Addison and then only have to use a couple million more to replace him, 
that is an upgrade in the short term. If they have the chance to do that with another defensive tackle or we need to use that money elsewhere, I think you have a chance to play around with those pieces, and those are the most movable pieces from a salary cap standpoint. So I expect to see some new names there. Obviously, getting a star with two layback and having a true one-tech makes an impact. That's not a flashy or sexy name, but it helps with letting Ed Oliver actually do his job and not try to moonlight as a one-tech. And then if you get a chance to upgrade a pass rush, which I think is a sneaky need, I'd love to be able to reappropriate some of those funds into one spot as a pass rusher and then maybe focus the draft on the offensive line. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about J.J. Watt and your your overall thoughts. And I know I think when you and I are probably in the same camp, I think there's a number, again, right? I, I think this is going to be a common theme. I think there's a number I'm comfortable with on adding J.J. Watt. Um, but, you know, for Greg, for me, I wonder what the overall, like what is the best case scenario for J.J. Watt that maybe you get a full season of J.J. Watt close to what we saw the J.J. Watt was against the Bills in that in that wild card game a year ago. Um, maybe that's the best case scenario. I just... For me, I struggle to find you. You're going to be in likely a bidding war um, of who's going to be willing to pay JJ Watt more of a, a bunch of teams that are going to be pressed against the salary cap. So, ultimately, what this comes down to is: can you get him at the right price? And ultimately, how what are you getting with JJ Watt at this point at 32? You just look across the league historically. You know, Houston. Um, uh, I'm, uh, and I'm looking. I'm thinking of Justin Houston, and I'm thinking some of these other aging sure. defensive ends, pass rush specialists that get to age 32, and there is just a significant drop off. And I just don't know that I'm willing to put all of my eggs in this defensive line getting better into the JJ Watt basket. It, it's a risk. Now there are some on the other side of that. You've seen your Jared Allen's, you've seen your Michael Strahan's, you've seen several guys that defensive end ages a little bit better than people realize. It's not always. A significant drop-off, a lot of it has to do with a usage rate like a Justin Houston where, you know, last year, as an FYI, J.J. Watt played every single game last year and played more snaps than anyone on the Bills that wasn't in the secondary. So he played over 1,000 snaps last year. The only Bills that played over 1,000 snaps were Trey White, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Boyer. So he obviously still had plenty left in the tank. He was the seventh-rated pass rusher, according to PFF, you know, for whatever you want to call that. Um, so he obviously has stuff left in the tank. I think part of that sell is, hey, if we want to maximize that, we employ more of a 50%, 60% rotational rate to keep you fresh. To be able, We have top-of-the-line health and wellness facilities. We've been able to extend the careers of multiple other players as they age. We just saw what Cole Beasley did at age 31 with a broken leg. Um, I think that's part of the sell. Anything that J.J. Watt goes after, all the comments have been, he wants to play in a Super Bowl, point blank, period. Um, I think bidding war is real in the sense that I'm not expecting him to take the veteran minimum to go somewhere. I don't expect him to make his decision based off the highest dollar value. Mm. I think there's some threshold that's out there. I'm going to throw out $10 million. That If you're above that, you're in play, and he's simply picking the spot that he wants to go to. That One is the role that he wants, where he thinks he's going to be productive and to contribute, and two, the team that gets him the best shot to win, and that you know, if Shaq Barrett leaves Tampa Bay, I think they're going to throw their hat in the ring. If you know, I think yeah. Green Bay's in there. I think Pittsburgh with his brothers are in there, and I think the Bills are solidly in the top three or four for a J.J. Watt, and it really is just going to come down to his gut call, because any of those teams can free up 
I think, enough money. I don't think it's going to turn into, well, you know, I really was considering Buffalo's offer of two years for $10 million, but Atlanta threw me $17 million a year, so I'm going to go there. Right, I just right. don't think that kind of bidding thing is in play. I think I agree with you on that one, too. Greg Tom said here on the Western Hotline, and it's one of the things, too, that, that makes me interested, because I know you and me, I think we're both on the same page about they need a veteran tight end, but not a veteran tight end, not not a Croft-level tight end. I think they desperately need the infusion of a playmaker at that position. And it's not to say that maybe we see a step forward for Dawson Knox in year three. I'm not crossing that off the list at all. But I think part of me is saying the ideal... Uh, the ideal scenario is pairing Dawson Knox with someone that can maybe take some take some pressure off of him. And I know you're a big John O. Smith fan. I'm also very down for a move for John O. Smith um, this offseason. But talk to me a little bit about allocating those t- $8 million, $10 million a year at the tight end position in a year that we know they desperately are going to need to find cost-effective players at offensive and defensive line. Ultimately, what I wanted to get to you is we had the discussion about the offensive line. We've had the discussion about the defensive line. And I think that tight end probably sp- probably fits in right after that conversation. So with that said, make your case on why you feel comfortable at 8, maybe even 9 million is a comfortable number for you to spend a tight end. And maybe ultimately your your decision comes from, I think Brandon Bean wants to get a guy like Jonu Smith, and they don't need to give him 8 million this year. They can get creative. They can punt some of that figure, some of that number down a ways into year two and year three when we know the Bills are going to be in a significantly better salary cap position. Absolutely. So there's two camps. I, I, I think, one, it's inevitable we're going to add talent and bodies at tight end because we only have two under contract right now. So the only people that we have in the entire room – is Dawson Knox technically Tommy Sweeney coming back if he even gets cleared to play for myocarditis? And then people like to call Reggie Gilliam a tight end, but he lined up in the backfield six times and lined up at, or 64 times and lined up at tight end eight times. So he's a fullback. Um, they only have those guys under contract. They're adding talent. Um, it's one of two camps. Do you think that it's simply a matter of time where Dawson Knox will still become a tight end one, but we know we need – a short-term Band-Aid that can get us there. And then you're talking about, do we trade for Kyle Rudolph? Do we sign Jared Cook? Do we trade for Zach Ertz? Those are the all going to be in that $6, 8 $10 million range. Maybe you renegotiate and make it a more palatable number in the first year. Um, give them a second-year extension so you bring them in for two years. But it's just better at Band-Aid because we believe that Dawson Knox is still the path to tight end one. Or internally, do they believe, hey, we're open to the fact that Dawson Knox might have upside, but we kind of think he's probably just going to be a tight end two going forward, and we're not ready to invest in that. And we need to invest in the future of our tight end one. Then you're getting into, can we find the right number for a Johnny Smith, a Gerald Everett? Yeah. I don't think Hunter Henry would be in play, but one of those coming off their rookie year guys who were a tight end one elsewhere, and now we think can really flourish in our passing offense I think it's more likely that they believe in Dawson Knox but want to add a starting caliber short-term Band-Aid. Out of all of those, I think the rat's nest that is Philadelphia, maybe we can sneak Zach Ertz for free and that's the Band-Aid, and we also get the one year to find out, is Dawson Knox ready to step forward? You know, that kind of pairing. Um, I will be happy. I'm I like Dawson Knox. I'm not rooting against him. I am now in the camp of 
I don't believe he's going to be a tight end one. I don't believe that's in his capacity. I think he's just always going to be a nice guy with flashes who makes some plays and is inconsistent and frustrating. So I want the Gerald Everett, the Johnny Smith, the Hunter Henry invest. I want a tight end one for this offense. I'm open to the fact that they may not believe that, and I think the best compromise in those worlds for me is a Zach Ertz. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that's best-case scenario for me, too, because I think he offers – he offers you maybe the best of both worlds, an additional veteran who you know could and has played at a top-tier level, and maybe only for a year to give you the ultimate decision of, hey, we could either A, re-sign Zach Ertz if we like what we see from him, B, we can move on from him and have you know Dawson Knox step into the tight end one position and maybe we draft someone next offseason. And Greg, the other thing too is maybe they go out and sign a free agent and they also draft a tight end in a very deep tight end draft. And maybe that's ultimately the thing that it comes to. I think ultimately, though, you and I are on the same page. They need to be better at tight end. And it's less about finding a guy at tight end that can start to take away maybe some some targets from receivers, but more so give them more personnel flexibility, more opportunities to get into 12 personnel, get teams into their base defense, and and give Cole Beasley better um, you know matchups in, in, uh, at, at, in the slot, and maybe giving Stephon Diggs better matchups. And I think for me, utilizing the middle of the field more, I just don't think this was an offense that utilized the middle of the field and the deep middle of the field enough. And I think adding a tight end like Ertz or, or going out and getting a Jonu Smith for me, I don't want to sacrifice, I think, athleticism and speed. And that's the only thing I wonder about Zach Ertz at this point at 31 years old. Is this the guy? And that's why Jonu Smith or Gerald Everett make a lot of sense to me because I think they bring that athletic profile that I think I'd like to add to this offense. Well, and I think people see, so I, I'm 100% on board. I talk about the benefits of utilizing 12 personnel, and people say, oh, that's crazy. We have great wide receivers. What are you talking about? I'm not talking about stopping running 11 personnel. That's right. I'm not talking about taking receivers off the field. Last year, the Bills used 12 personnel, which for anyone who isn't familiar, the numbers mean number of running backs, number of tight ends, so one running back, two tight ends. The Bills used that 8% of the time, which was 31st in the NFL. I'm not talking about converting to 50% of the time. I'm saying, hey, what if we just get back to league average where 15 or 20% of the time we can have two tight ends on the field, but the two tight ends could be athletes like a Johnny Smith and a Dawson Knox, where if we go play action out of that, you have to be ready. You have to guard athletes running down the seam and that Josh Allen can hit them on a deep seam route for a big play. And when they don't, if they get afraid of that and they keep two safeties back because they're afraid of the seam routes, now you're running a two tight end set with a light box, and now it helps the run game. And I just want that variability. I want that factor that, that a, a defensive coordinator has to plan around that. And then I still want us to have you know the most 10 personnel in the league and still run that 10 or 15% of the time. And we're still going to be in 11 personnel the majority of the time, but maybe it's okay to be 60% instead of 75%. There's wiggle room there to add variability with a talent at tight end that opens up options we didn't have last year. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and this kind of leads to an even maybe more important question. And this is the one thing that Eric brought up to me today that made me pause and something I just cert- I just had not thought about. And maybe that's just a symptom of feeling like the Bills are in such a great situation, a wide receiver. They've got the ability here to potentially either cut or restructure John Brown and move on from him this offseason. But then the question was raised to me. You know, what if you cut John Brown and Cole Beasley gets hurt or or Gabe Davis gets hurt and misses extended periods of time? 
I wonder the thought process of Brandon Bean this offseason because in a vacuum, if you have Gabe Davis back going into year two, and let's say he takes a step forward in year two, and Stephon Diggs is still Stephon Diggs, and you get Cole Beasley, who's still Cole Beasley, well, the great thing about this wide receiver core, Greg, was that Gabe Davis was their number four receiver. Now you're going to ask him to be your number two receiver. Well, who's your number four now? Because we saw at times this year... That when uh, that when John Brown was out, Gabe Davis was able to step into that number two receiver position. Do they have a guy that can step in if Gabe Davis gets hurt? And and my question right now on the roster is, maybe it's Isaiah Hodgins. They don't know though. They didn't get to see any of him last year. So, how do you balance the need to create cap space by moving on from John Brown while also wanting to keep the maybe the biggest know, luxury you had in your team last year, which was wild depth at the wide receiver position. So one, our previous conversation leads into this. I'd love to have a receiving threat at tight end that can act like that fourth mm. option in mm. the passing game. Mm. So let, one, let, that's that was a big piece of that. But two, I think that Brandon Bean and Dan Morgan and Joe Shane are going to take the list of all the free agent wide receivers coming out this year, which is extensive and ridiculous and has 15 really prominent names. And they're going to show that to John Brown's agent and say, hey, if we cut your guy, this is what he's up against. Do you want to go do that? Because we don't think you want to go do that. How about we come up with new number X, and we bring you back where you still get to stay on this team. You don't have to go face the nuclear winter that will be a lower-tier receiver fighting against those guys where there's only so many musical chair spots who are going to get paid. And then everybody's happy. I think there's a very easy way for them to say, hey, we like you a lot, John. We'd actually love to extend you for a year. We're going to kick in $2 more million dollars for 2022. We're going to take a big chunk of your salary for 2021, spread it out over the two years. And now we're talking about a two-year $10 million deal where you're $4 million this year and $6 million next year. We get back $4 million in cap space. We get you back at a number that we think is fair and probably what you'd get on the open market. And we don't have to upheave everything. And we get to use that 4 or $5 million in cap space elsewhere, maybe on a tight end to then be able to keep you around Mm. and go into another year. I think there's a a happy medium there. I will be shocked if John Brown is back at a $9 million cap hit without that $8 million savings. I don't think it's an either-or of either he's here with that number or he's released. I think there's Mm. a way they can bring him back that makes sense for him, too. I don't think you're asking for some huge sacrifice when you look at how many other free agent wide receiver names are out there. All right, and last thing, uh, just a quick thing here for you, Greg. If you, I, I, Maybe I'm just asking you if you have one on your mind. If you don't, that's fine. But what I was going to ask you, sort of like on the back in the back of your mind, do you have someone that you – is there a player that you believe could be in play for the Bills if they decided they wanted to trade their 30th pick and they wanted to tra- – uh, similar to Stephon Diggs, is there a player for you in the back of your mind that you started this offseason saying, you know what, if he became available, I'd be really willing to part ways with that 30th pick um, and create like a Stefan Diggs 2.0 type of trade. So the only spots where I would consider that is if you're talking about a premium player still on the end of a rookie deal from a team that's about to get destroyed in in the salary cap and can't afford them and is a spot you would consider extending the following year. I don't I don't know that those fall just right for a team like the Bills, but you're talking about a Marshawn Lattimore from 
New Orleans. That he's still on his rookie deal. You can probably afford to fit him in. You get an elite player at corner, and you were thinking about spending on that the next year. Again, I don't think that's where their path is. Right. My my target would be a defensive end. Is if there was a defensive end coming up that was a true pass rushing presence from a team that just isn't going to be able to afford them, and that you think you could convert that into a major piece and also then cut one of those defensive linemen we talked about and use their money elsewhere because you brought the player in at a rookie contract and it was a spot you were planning to spend on next year so you could extend them. I think there's a path for that, but I would be surprised if they go that route. I think they realize with all these contracts coming up, needing a elite talent in the first or second round here, maybe even if they trade down a little bit, um, you need those rookie contracts right now, and, and that's the start of building into that next phase. Could I throw two names at you, and you can just say, Nate, you're crazy. Trey Hendrickson, <laughs> yes. and the other guy that I think maybe is even more more so is Marcus Davenport. Uh, two guys that are in New Orleans right now that are, one is a former first-round pick, one that they traded up for, um, and the other one's coming down to, I, I, I believe, in his final year of his deal, of his rookie deal with Trey yeah. Hendrickson, so... What about either of those? Are, are any of those names worthy of a first-round pick, though, is ultimately the question. So, actually, great examples in two different scenarios. Hendrickson's a free agent. He's about to be available. Okay, that's time. right. RFA? Um, or UFA? Davenport, uh, unrestricted. Unrestricted, Because he was a, okay. a, a fifth-round pick, so he yep, completed yep. Okay. his four-year rookie deal. Um, Davenport is a perfect example of the kind of guy you could trade for. I actually think you could get him for maybe better than maybe the two instead of the one. I don't, I think you might be able to get him for better than the first round pick. Um, as a side note, I kind of like Hendrickson a little bit, but when you talk about a defensive line with Sheldon Rankins, Cam Jordan, yeah, uh, Mar- yeah. Marcus, Davenport, good point. if you, if you go look at all the other um, production, there are a ton of similarities with Trent Murphy's contract year and Trey Hendrickson's contract year. A ton of similarities in the sacks versus the amount of pressures. Actually, Murphy had more pressures in his year than what Hendrickson did. I I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's a great player when he's a fifth-round pick and you're talking about what a value he is. He's he's about to get paid by a team that's expecting him to come in and just put up 14.5 sacks again, and he's probably not by most metrics, and he's going to become a pariah in the same way that if Trent Murphy was an undrafted free agent on the Bills, we would have a fan club for him. Everyone would love him. <laughs> but because we paid him funny, man. to be this elite player, all the, oh, come on, we're supposed to get more than that. I guarantee you wherever Trey Hendrickson goes, their their expectations will be too high for what he's actually going to produce. Yeah, I think it's a, it's sort of the argument I was making earlier with um, you know value and assigning value, and it's all based – it's funny how it ends up being, but it, a lot of it has to do with what your position is and how much you're getting paid about how much whether somebody actually likes you. And, and, I, and I think it is funny how the way that that works out. All right, Greg, i got to go, brother. Thank you so much for all your time, all your insight, as always. We'll be doing this again as the rest of this offseason plays out, so appreciate your time, bro. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.